listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's message is a part of our sermon series, How Shall We Live? You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. It's great to be back in worship with you today. I want you to know that this evening will be our first ever in-person Vespers service outside the Historic Sanctuary. You can actually register for next week's Vespers service uh, beginning tomorrow morning on the church website. I want you to know that we're going to try to make this as safe as possible. We're limiting the number of pe- uh, people who can attend to a manageable number. We're requiring masks and we're going to practice physical distancing principles. I also want to give you an update about where we are financially in the calendar year. Our pledge giving has been extremely strong. I want to thank the congregation for your faithfulness in continuing to, uh, to be generous and help us do the work of ministry that God calls us to. I do want you to know that our unpledged, or what we call our loose giving, has been a little weak. Uh, since we are not meeting in person, we don't get the income or the revenue that we get when we pass the plates down the aisle. So if you're not here and you haven't pledged but you're watching, and you feel like God is calling you to give, I invite you to continue to still give and allow us to do the work of ministry. And then also we are behind in our mission outreach uh, giving. So if you pledged to that, uh, that ministry, please give, uh, fulfill your pledge, uh, be generous. You can write mission outreach on your check or make sure you put it in that account online when you give on the church website. This will help fulfill our commitments to our mission partners as we minister to those folks who are in desperate need. Well, today we continue our sermon series, How Shall We Live? We're looking at the Ten Commandments. And today we're going to look at the Sixth and the Seventh Commandment, although I'll focus mostly on the Sixth. This marks a transition in the commandments into what commentators call the second table of the law. The first table has to do with how we relate to God. It's our vertical relationship. And the second table is our horizontal relationship. How do we relate to one another? The sixth and seven commandments set some boundaries. They lay out boundaries about how we are to treat one another. So in verse 13 and 14 of Exodus 20, it reads, Thou shall not kill, and thou shall not commit adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you for this gift of the Ten Commandments you've given us. If we didn't have them, we wouldn't know what was the right direction to go in our lives as individuals and as a community. So I pray that you might teach us from your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In this line of work, I've learned, you never know who you're going to meet. I have a friend in Atlanta who is not a Christian, but knows that I'm a pastor. And so he texts me one day, Jeff, I have a friend who is interested in going into ministry and could use some advice. Would you be willing to meet with him? I texted back and said, of course, of course I will. So we met at a restaurant and he came and sat down with me. And he says, did E tell you my story? Now, this guy was in his mid-40s, and I said, no, he, he didn't tell me anything other than you were interested in going into ministry. He said, yeah, 
I am. But I just got out of prison after spending 21 years there for convicted murder. I said, yeah, E failed to mention that. And you want to go into ministry? And then he says, yes, Jesus saved me in there. And now I want to go tell people about Christ's love, especially those in the criminal justice system. So we spent the next hour figuring out how he could serve in ministry. That conversation gave me a lot of hope about how someone can be powerfully impacted and changed by grace. Even if you break the sixth commandment, according to Jesus, there is still hope for you. As we move from the fifth to the sixth commandment, we come to the second table of the law, where the first table is really concerned with our relationship with God. The second table is concerned with our relationships with one another. And the sixth commandment prohibits killing. And the seventh prohibits adultery. In Hebrew, the sixth command is remarkably terse. It only has three syllables in Hebrew. The sentence here is lo terza. Lo terza. Lo is actually a word for negation. And terza means to kill or murder. So literally, it means no killing or no murder. Terza is a rare word in the Old Testament and is is usually used for homicide or for killing. Ancient and modern law differentiates killing into three broad categories. First, you have premeditated killing. This is murder. Second, you have unintentional or non-premeditated killing. This is manslaughter. And third, you have accidental killing, which is negligence. Now, the Ten Commandments do not make any distinctions here in the different types of killing, but in the rest of the Old Testament, in the law, you can see it fleshed out. Well, throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that terza is used to refer to the first two kinds of killing, murder and manslaughter. Murder occurs when you plan to kill someone, and manslaughter occurs when you get angry and someone is killed maybe accidentally. You don't, haven't premeditated it but both are prohibited by the Sixth Commandment. Now, throughout human history, there is a long tradition of people saying, thou shalt not kill except for fill in the blank. I was talking to a therapist friend of mine the other day and told him I was going to be preaching on the Sixth Commandment. It's the commandment not to kill, I told him, and I was lamenting to him all of the emails I was going to be getting that were going to be justifying killing. And he said this to me, if the first thing you think about when you hear thou shalt not kill is trying to figure out the exceptions so you can kill, you need therapy. (laughs) And I thought that was about right. Whether it's through state action, self-defense, convenience, Human beings like to make exceptions to the sixth commandment. In fact, in the the book of Genesis, we only make it to the, the second generation of humans before someone is killed when Cain murders his brother Abel. We aren't that much different. You don't have to look too far to see a lot of killing in our world. It's estimated that 262 million people people were killed by their own governments in the 20th century. 
108 million were killed in war in the 20th century. We've seen mass genocide from Germany to Rwanda, from Armenia to Cambodia. We have witnessed way too much killing, and God says, thou shalt not kill. So the key question is, why does God prohibit killing? And I think it's because human beings are of sacred worth. In Genesis 9, right after the flood, Noah and his family get out of the ark, and God makes another covenant with his people, and he says, I will never send a flood again. And then in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 9, God says, whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human that person's blood be shed. For in his own image, God made humankind. And be you, be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and multiply in it. Don't shed human blood because in his own image, God made humankind. Humans are made in the image of God. When you see a human being walking down the street, you're looking at the image of God. Every time you see a person, you see someone who bears the divine stamp. God's copyright is on every human being. Do not violate God's copyright. The sixth command sets a boundary around how we are to treat one another, and it limits violence. Human beings are created in the image of God and deserve to be treated like it. The great reformer John Calvin had an interesting interpretive approach when it came to the commandments. He said, when it came to the negative commandments, the ones that read, thou shalt not, he said, behind the negative is a grand positive. Thou shalt not kill because human beings are made in the image of God and are of sacred worth. Treat them as such. There's a grand positive behind this negative, thou shalt not kill. Yet so often people are looking for the exceptions to the rule of this command. But guess what? Guess what Jesus does when he does, discusses this command in the New Testament? If you go to Matthew 5, you'll read the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest body of Jesus' moral and ethical teaching that comes down to us. And in fact, the way that Matthew tells the story of Jesus, Jesus is a kind of new Moses. In chapter 5, we see that just like Moses went Mount, up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, so Jesus goes up the mount to offer a sermon to talk about his moral and ethical teachings, what it takes to flourish in our human life. Notice what, what Jesus says about the sixth commandment. Watch this, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But what I say to you, that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. See what Jesus does there? He doesn't loosen the command, he tightens it. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you, don't even be angry with a brother or sister. And if someone has something against you, leave your gift and go and be reconciled to them. See, at the, the heart of this command is a grand positive. 
be reconciled to one another. Jesus says, yes, don't murder, but don't even become angry with someone. I think every new parent understands the importance of not getting angry. I remember when Major was just a baby, and honestly, he was a pretty good sleeper, but we hit this patch of rough nights, and he had trouble sleeping, which meant we had trouble sleeping. And one night, I hear him crying in his room, and so I get up, and I must tell you, I was exhausted at the end of my rope, and he is this cute, cuddly, infant baby screaming at the top of his lungs. I mean, this little thing was making incredible amount of noise. And so I get him, I try rocking him, I try purring at him, I, try, I pick him up, then I put him down. Nothing is working, and he is screaming bloody murder, and I am irrationally angry, and then I realize, oh, I could see how someone would murder their child, <laughs> and I will put him down, I walk away, and ask for help. Jesus gets to the grand positive of the sixth commandment, put anger away, it won't lead you to killing Calm down. Be reconciled to one another. The end goal of this command is not just thou shalt not kill. It's to reconcile and bring us together. Behind the negative is a grand positive. So what happens though? Then someone wrongs you, or let's say even breaks the law when someone kills. Well, there are two approaches to this problem. And this really works in personal relationships, in parenting, and criminal justice. One vision or approach to justice has to do with punitive or retributive justice. When someone does something wrong, they must be punished and suffer for their wrongdoing. This is the lock them up and throw away the key approach. But there's another approach, and this is what we call restorative justice. And the critical motivation here is to bring a wrongdoer back into relationship with the person or people who have been wronged. This can occur through restitution, rehabilitation, many different forms. The important thing is to restore and reconcile the relationship. And so we saw this in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. Another good example might be Brian Stevenson's book and movie Just Mercy. I think we need to see Jesus get at the heart of the sixth command. Yes, it's a boundary from destroying the image of God in another person, but at the heart of the law is the impulse to restore broken relationships. So I know what some of you are still saying. You're saying, is it ever okay to kill? <laughs> and this is, to be honest, a question that the Christian community has really wrestled with down through the ages. And they've come up with different answers at different times in different places. On one end of the spectrum, you have pacifists who say violence is never okay. On the other hand, you have people on the other end of the spectrum. They say you may kill, but only as the least worst option. It's a horrible thing to have to do, but what else might happen if we didn't is even worse. And then you have a bunch of positions in between. 
But even at the end of the spectrum embodied in what is called the just war tradition, there are boundaries on killing. A few of the principles are, you have to have just authority. Do you have the right to intervene? Do you have just cause? Are there good reasons? Will you use just means? And is it proportional? Does the punishment fit the crime? There is always a limit or a boundary on the use of force. If you misuse force, it can lead to negative consequences. Not too long ago, I discovered a place where the Wu-Tang Clan and the Swiss theologian Karl Barth overlap. And if you ever find a place where the Wu-Tang Clan and Karl Barth overlap, you should take pause and take note. Well, back in 1993, the Wu, as they call them, had a song titled, The Mystery of Chess Boxing. The song begins by rapping about the virtues of playing chess. I kid you not. But then the sixth verse has these lyrics. He says, Homicide's illegal and death is the penalty. What justifies the homicide when he dies in his own iniquity? What he's saying there is, yes, homicide is illegal, and the death is the penalty, death penalty, capital punishment. What what justifies that homicide, that capital punishment of that person who committed the initial killing? Because he's going to die in his own iniquity. He will die before having the opportunity to repent or be rehabilitated or be restored and reconciled to the community. It's interesting that The greatest theologian of the 20th century, the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, makes a similar point in his great church dogmatics. He actually says that when the state kills, it fails at one of its basic tasks to protect the lives of its members. And so, for example, the Declaration of Independence protects the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he says, if the state, notice he refers to the state, he's thinking theologically here, this would apply in many different cultures and times and places. If the state executes one of its members, it attacks the very thing which it prefers to defend. He says a fundamental contradiction sits at the heart of a society where the state is violent with its members. And this contradiction threatens the community's self-understanding and well-being. Sure, he's talking about capital punishment, but I think it applies equally to other abuses of power by the state. When violence doesn't have boundaries, it reveals the precarious stability of the society. You're in trouble when things go awry. And so this is why we must again hear the grand positive that sits behind the sixth commandment that Jesus states, be reconciled to one another. Be reconciled to one another. So what do we need to do to be reconciled to one another? I really think it comes down to our fundamental view of reality, our fundamental faith, our fundamental trust in what we believe. It comes down to this grand positive of Jesus that Jesus sees behind the sixth commandment, and do we really believe it? I told you at the beginning of our sermon series, I wanted to talk to you about Woody Allen's movie, Matchpoint. I think it came out in 2008. And it tells a story that illustrates Allen's fascination with the question, 
is there morality without God? And he would say no. As Alan liked to quote Dostoevsky's Ivan Karamazov, without God all things are permissible. See, toward the beginning of the film, four characters sit at dinner talking. You have Chris, the film's central character. He has his fiancée, Eleanor, her brother Tom, and Nola, Tom's girlfriend, played by Scarlett Johansson. Tom remembers a saying that he used to hear in church, he says, when they're at dinner. He says, what is it the vicar used to say? Despair is the path of least resistance. Chris, hearing this, interrupts and states with firm conviction. He says, I believe that faith is the path of least resistance. Powerful scene where Chris lays out his view of life and rejection of Christian faith. The movie continues to show the implications of that view. The rest of the movie recounts Chris's marriage to Eleanor, a successful career in her family's business, and eventually, eventually an adulterous affair with Nola. He breaks the seventh commandment. As moral despair guides his action, Chris falls deeper into further obsession with Nola, and she becomes pregnant, not wanting to lose his job in his wife's family business, and undergoes substantial embarrassment. Chris murders the pregnant Nola and her neighbor, and then now breaks the sixth commandment. If you know Alan's work, it should come as no surprise that Chris gets away with it all. Yet still, Chris is miserable. And even though he is not punished legally, even though he does not find justice, he will not flourish. Because he fails to follow God's roadmap to flourishing. He is not seeking reconciliation. He is not reconciling. He breaks the sixth and the seventh commandments. That's his view of things. A very different view of the world comes in Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables. I know many of you have seen the play, watched the movies. The story of Jean Valjean, who's a poor man in France, who ends up stealing and spending 19 years in prison. In prison, he is treated like a dog, turns him into a fearful and angry man. After he is released and looking for a place to stay, a priest invites him to stay at his house. But that night, Jean Valjean wakes up in the middle of the night and steals the priest's rare and valuable silverware. As Valjean flees town, he is caught by the police and brought back to the priest's house. This crime will now bring him life imprisonment. However, as the police talk, the, the priest steps forward. And he says that he gave the silverware to Jean as a gift. And then says, Jean, why don't you take the candlesticks too? As Jean Jean Valjean is leaving, the bishop says to him, don't forget, you promised me to use this silver to become an honest man. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul I am buying for you. I withdraw it from the dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. The priest's grace and God's grace flowing through him, transforms Jean Valjean's life. He is reconciled to God and reconciled to human beings. And the rest of the book 
tells the story of how he uses that reconciliation, how he uses that grace for good. In the sixth and seventh commandments, God sets a boundary on how we should treat one another. But behind that boundary sits a great positive that God has created us in his image and God desires us to be reconciled to him and to one another. We bear the image of God now. Be reconciled to one another. God desires for us to flourish. That's what the Ten Commandments help us do. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gracious gift of the Ten Commandments. We pray that we may follow them. And when we hear the negative, Lord, may we find the great grand positive that sits behind them. This great vision of flourishing for human life, not just for ourselves, but our community. May we reflect the light of your son Jesus into the world, especially at a time where so much of night seems to fall around us. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.